This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. What's going on? For real, does anyone have any information on what's going on? Feels like just last week that we've been in a bit of a blackout. I mean, it sure looks like something's going on. There are hints, sometimes fiery clues. There's dread, sometimes a deep thudding terror. But as for information, well, it's been harder to come by than you might think. A one-off story, seemingly, about a Chinese spy balloon comes and goes, and yet, over the last week, we've seen no less than three other crafts shot down by the military. What are they? Who sent them? We don't know. Well, hold on. Correction. We do know one thing. My understanding is that uh, the top officials of the Pentagon when asked explicitly if uh, they were ruling out any kind of extraterrestrial presence, said they weren't ruling anything out. And yet at the beginning of today's briefing, albeit with her usual winning smile, uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre seemed to rule out any extraterrestrial activity. I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft. Okay, okay, good to know. No aliens. That still leaves the possibility. However, let me pitch this to you that the United States is currently being invaded by an army of dirigibles. Yes, an aerial steampunk armada entering through a vent in the multiverse somewhere in the Bering Strait are currently riding the jet stream to lay waste to the seat of Western power. Only through our sophisticated radar technology, which their steam engines are not powerful enough to combat, are we able to stay ahead of this attack. It's a shame that our intrepid White House press corps did not explore this possibility, since according to all available information on Tuesday as I am recording this, it is still something that the Pentagon has not explicitly denied. You know, along with other possibilities. Like that all these items are from China, and it represents either a steady rise in these crafts being sent, or a change to U.S. policy to shoot them down. If it is the first, then I would have the following questions. What are these craft? What information are they looking for? When did we start seeing them? Who is making the decision to shoot them down? Is it possible to capture them so we can know more? Or if it's the latter, and these craft have often come into United States airspace, why are we shooting them down now? What information do we believe that they have gained in the past? And have these balloons ever materially affected U.S. air travel? If it's either of these, then we are today more on course for a military conflict with China, or at least one might believe. Have we been in communication with our Chinese counterparts either before or now about these craft? And if so, what have they said? To these questions, we the public have little information. And make no mistake, when we're talking about a military intervention into foreign espionage, we're probably never going to get the full picture in the moment. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't demand it. And it doesn't mean we should get nothing. Because there are some domestic issues that I'd like some more information on as well. 
In the beginning of February, a train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, spilled potentially deadly chemicals into the rural town. A decision was made to burn off some of those chemicals, leaving an ominous black mushroom cloud. Anecdotal reports of dead wildlife have since filtered through social media, and the arrest of a reporter have fueled rumors of a media blackout, if not a government cover-up, aided by the railroad company that is responsible for this disaster. Meanwhile, a meaningful presence on this issue from the Biden administration has been sparse, despite the accident affecting communities in both Ohio and Pennsylvania, therefore theoretically making this a federal issue. The absence of information breeds suspicion. Suspicion brings rumor, and rumor can bring judgment. Judgment without full information. So without information, it might be suspicious to bring judgment on an administration that negotiated a botched agreement between union rail workers and the railway companies, which then required a Democratic president in Congress to use federal authority to call off a strike, therefore allowing, according to the unions, trains and railways to be under-supervised and dangerous. Specifically, as the transportation secretary has been trotted out on television to discuss the debt ceiling and yet has been barely seen nor heard from on this particular issue. And I would love for more information. I would love to not have that judgment. I would love to not pass along that rumor. But this is what happens in the absence of other information. And like I said before, I would really like to know what's going on. This is Politics, Politics, Politics. I'm Justin Robert Young. Let's start with East Palestine. Let's watch a sitcom or something. No! They're calling it the airborne toxic event. They won't come this way. Will we have to leave our home? Of course not. How do you know? I just know. Okay, what if it's dangerous? That is not a Noah Bumbach-directed adaptation of the East Palestine disaster starring Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig. However, it is a film called White Noise, directed by Noah Bumbach, adapted from a 1985 fiction novel. It does indeed star Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig and is currently available on Netflix. Quote, It's funny and surprisingly unnerving stuff. The film manages to feel contemporary without ever dropping the throwback aesthetic, writes Mike Sims of The Atlantic. It's about a middle American family who have to deal with everyday life amongst extraordinary circumstances, specifically a train derailment that sends deadly chemicals into the air and forces a mass exodus. It was shot in, wait for it, East Palestine, Ohio, making Mike Sims's review in The Atlantic incorrect. It was not contemporary. It was clairvoyant. 
So here's what we know about the East Palestine derailment. The accident occurred on February 3rd when a freight train carrying hazardous chemicals, including vinyl chloride, derailed and exploded. On February 6th, emergency crews conducted a controlled burn of those toxic chemicals, which released hydrogen chloride and phosgene into the air. As a result, residents within a one-mile radius were evacuated, and since East Palestine is on the border between Ohio and Pennsylvania, that encompassed citizens from both states. Further disclosures by the Environmental Protection Agency have stated that two different hazardous chemicals have since been found in the ground as well. About 48 hours after the accident, the National Transportation and Safety Board released preliminary findings indicating that the derailment was caused by a mechanical issue on one of the car's axles. The fire from this accident burned until February 5th, two full days after the accident. On February 6th, in an effort to prevent further explosions, Norfolk Southern, the railroad company that owns the cars, they conducted a controlled release and burn of the five tanks of vinyl chloride into the air. The burn caused black clouds to form above the area and released phosgene and hydrogen chloride into the air. Although officials reported that the air quality readings were not showing anything concerning, residents in nearby counties reported a chemical smell in their areas. Officials in the Youngstown region advised residents to stay indoors. Air monitoring conducted on February 7th and 8th revealed an increase in volatile organic compounds in the air below the screening level and an increase in particulate matter likely from the soot. On February 8th, both Ohio and U.S. EPA noticed oily spillage onto local soil and notified Norfolk Southern. The company began removing that spill with a vacuum truck. The evacuation of citizens was lifted on February 9th, six days after the accident, after the national EPA reported that the air inside and outside the evacuation zone had returned to normal levels. Although toxins were detected at the derailment site, they were not detected outside the area. The Ohio EPA also reports that drinking water was safe despite the train cars spilling toxins into the waterways. In a testing report from February 8th, the Ohio EPA uh, showed that vinyl chloride, benzene, and some chlorinated organic compounds and other VOCs were not detected in the water. Now, those are the facts, but the coverage of this story, or lack thereof, has raised a lot of eyebrows. And if you've been on social media, You've probably seen it. Twitter and TikTok have been rampant in attacking mainstream media for not covering this enough. Add to that bonfire the arrest of a News Nation reporter at a press conference by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. This lends further suspicion to the fact that this is a cover-up in action. And let's be incredibly clear. There is plenty of reason to suspect the owners of this train to report as little as they legally can. Lawsuits from nearby citizens have already begun and will likely continue for decades as we discover the ecological and health consequences of what happened, not just in East Palestine, 
but anywhere that that cloud of burnt chemicals blew over. And with that being said, after looking into this, I don't believe we are looking at a government cover-up or any specific media malpractice. This is a telegenic story that happened outside of Pittsburgh, our nation's 26th largest media market. Should it have received more screen time? Nationally, maybe. It certainly did locally. But a lot of what happened happened to fall amidst other news. The Chinese spy balloon and the State of the Union. So the national media eye did not fixate on this until citizens were being told that the area was safe. And by then, well, the drama of the story just isn't there. So what about that reporter who got arrested? Well, he was doing a remote from the back of an auditorium where the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, was speaking. There was a heated discussion between the reporter and three law enforcement officials. They said he was being too loud and disrupting the press conference for the other reporters and the governor. Things escalated and the reporter got arrested. What's notable is that this did not happen because he was asking pointed questions. Again, he was on the other side of the auditorium. In fact, an activist from More Perfect a progressive nonprofit was at the exact same press conference asking pressing questions about the culpability of the railway company and was allowed to continue and file his story. So unless independent findings prove that there is a significant toxicity beyond what the EPA for both Ohio and the United States has told those citizens, this just kind of becomes a less active news story every day. The biggest news value for East Palestine is long-term. And it's not to say that it's not a big story. It's just not a breaking story in the same way that it would be otherwise. Long-term coverage usually comes in the form of books or magazine articles months, if not years, after the fact. However, there is an element of this that I do want to get back to because this story not having a national media footprint is part of the reason why a lot of suspicion and rumor has been able to fill the vacuum. And that's fine on a certain level. And you can accuse me of being a press apologist by finding every reason why other news media outlets weren't on the scene there. But I do have something to say about the Biden administration's response to this, and specifically the response of Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. On February 5th, two days after this accident, and one day before the controlled burn, while fires were still burning in East Palestine, Pete Buttigieg was on television. A lot. Specifically, he toured three of the Sunday shows as a representative of the White House to preview the State of the Union that was upcoming the following Tuesday. 
if you are a patron of this show at the $3 level, you likely heard me discuss his tour there on Monday morning after it happened. If you're not aware, the $3 level gets two bonus podcasts each week. One of them, the one that comes out on Monday morning, is me recapping the Sunday shows. And I noted not only how much Pete was on, but the topics he was being asked about. Here is that part of the show. I don't think that we had to wait for Biden's uh, uh, State of the Union to start his 2024 campaign because they dispatched Pete Buttigieg, who was all over the Sunday shows this morning in person, by the way. Meet the Press this week and CNN State of the Union. Let's start with him on Meet the Press talking about whether or not we are in a Cold War posture. I don't know that you can do a one-to-one comparison with the last Cold War, but certainly you see this kind of great power competition, and we're seeing it uh, a lot, you know, while, while this week the headlines have been dominated by this particular situation. So much of it is playing out in the economic space. And- Why on earth is Pete being asked about this? Is he a foreign affairs expert? No, I don't think so. Does this have anything to do with trains, planes, or automobiles? No. I don't think so. Well, let's let's move to another strength of his, the debt ceiling debate. Well, I think the president's been very clear that the full faith and credit of the United States is not negotiable. Remember, uh, this is not a decision or, or a negotiation about how much to spend or even how much to borrow. This is about whether the United States pays its bills. And we always do. We've done this dozens and dozens of times under Democratic and Republican presidents. Pete Buttigieg has never served in Congress. He has no expertise in this. He is just carrying the message points. He is living off the message point sheet. I mean, he has as much expertise in this stuff as I do. Finally, here's CNN, Pete Buttigieg on the Chinese spy balloon. Well, again, the president gave instructions to have it uh, handled, to have it shot down in a way that was safe. Uh, as you may have seen, there's reporting now that the debris field that was created by this balloon when it was shot down was about seven miles long. And we're back. Look, Pete Buttigieg is good on television. Among the other high-profile name recognition administration officials that you could have preview the State of the Union... Pete's probably the best, which does say something about Kamala Harris, but that's a different show. Right now, we need information from the administration about something other than talking head political sparring, though. To my knowledge, Secretary Buttigieg did not make a public statement about East Palestine until Monday evening of this week on Twitter. According to his own social media that included speeches to tout new infrastructure investment in Port Arthur, Texas and Lake Charles, Louisiana, as well as another conference on infrastructure, he said nothing. However, here is the statement that he made on Monday the 13th, 10 days after the accident. Quote, 
I continue to be concerned about the impacts of the February 3rd trail, train derailment near East Palestine, Ohio, and the effects on families in the 10 days since their lives were upended through no fault of their own. It's important that families have access to useful and accurate information. The U.S. DOT has been supporting the, inf- the investigation led by the National Transportation Safety Board. Our Federal Rail Administration and Pipelines and Hazardous Materials team were on site within hours of the initial incident and continue to be actively engaged. We will look at these investigation results and based on them, use all relevant authorities to ensure accountability and to continue to support safety. In the meantime, our federal partners at the EPA are on-site and monitoring indoor and outdoor air quality to test for VOCs and other chemicals of concern. The EPA has screened 291 homes and no detections were identified, and 181 homes remain. To request a screening, you can call 330-849-3919. Now, I don't know how the Biden administration runs. I'm just a barking dog with a podcast. I don't know how dialed in Pete Buttigieg is to his job. By my observations as a political analyst and a reporter on the ground covering him as a candidate, he always struck me to be studious. We know he's very media aware. As I'm writing this Tuesday morning, he tweeted about a school shooting in Michigan that happened within 24 hours of his public comment. But we also know that Pete is a team player. He ended his candidacy for president in a coordinated effort to boost the eventual president, Joe Biden, over his primary opponent, Bernie Sanders. What I suspect is happening is something that all politicians worry about, but the modern strain of Democrats seem to be more afflicted by. An all-encompassing desire to control political messaging that is repeated by the media. And let me be clear here. I'm not saying that they are dictating talking points to the media. I'm saying that they are very frustrated that they cannot fully control it. And therefore, it leads them to say less rather than more. Nothing should be said that distracts from the message. Even if while in power, that information is necessary to your job. Gun control pushes Democrats to the polls. A train derailment in rural Ohio doesn't. Especially when the Biden White House was very publicly involved in going against the wishes of a union to have some of the issues that are in play right now addressed. And the speed in which the media-aware Secretary of Transportation commented on a school shooting versus this, something that is within the purview of his job as an administration official, tells that story. So, let's say my little pet theory on narrative obsession with the Biden administration specifically is true. Then how does that strategy hold up when the story isn't an ecological disaster that could yield consequences decades from now, 
but the possible seeds of World War III itself. All that right after this. Well, since I worked in an organic plug for our Patreon, which you can get to it, uh, takepoliticsseriously.com. I don't have to remind you that, again, we have two bonus episodes every single week. If you give us three bucks uh, per week, which is, you know, a cup of coffee. You want two bonus episodes? You just buy me a cup of coffee once a week. It's pretty, pretty cool, right? Good. Anyway, we don't need to talk about that. What we will talk about is... A live show. Been a, been a good long while since we have done a live show, and it's not going to be a PX3 live show. But I do know that a lot of you folks are listeners not only to this show, but also some of our, our sister shows. The Political Orphanage with Andrew Heaton. The Congressional Dish Program with Jennifer Briney. And many of you know that the three of us Unite as the greatest power trio since Nirvana once a week and do a show called We're Not Wrong. And on We're Not Wrong, we have a good time. It's a little bit more take-based, a little less researchy than our other shows are because the three of us actually like to do a lot of research. We like to pull things. We like to show you guys where we're coming from when we have are our opinions, but we're not wrong is more of us musing, just a good conversation in the way that I like to think of it. You know, since, since we are all independent creators, we don't have a newsroom, but this would be our newsroom conversation. Anyway, we got a live show. It's going to be in San Francisco, March 1st at the piano fight theater. So if you've ever seen me live, in the Bay Area before. It's going to be at the same location. And uh, uh, we're going to be wishing it a fond farewell because it is not long for this world. It's shutting down that month. But before the old girl heads into that sweet darkness, we got one more round. Wednesday, March 1st, piano fight in the world-famous Tenderloin District of San Francisco. Please go ahead and grab your tickets now. You can find them on Eventbrite. Just search for Piano Fight. We're not wrong. Or you can find this link in the show notes. Also, a little heads up on this program. On Friday, we're going to be looking at announcement videos and speeches for every female presidential candidate. This is in recognition of Nikki Haley, of making it official. She is running for president. And so we're going to see what the strategy has been in the past for female candidates on both sides of the aisle. Very excited for that. That'll be on Wednesday's version of this show. In the meanwhile, if you want two bonus podcasts each and every week, head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. And now, back to the show. All right, here is everything we know about the subsequent three unidentified flying objects that were shot down since the spy balloon two weeks ago. 
a U.S. fighter jet shot down an unidentified object over Lake Huron this Sunday on orders from President Joe Biden. It was the fourth such downing in eight days and the latest military strike in an extraordinary chain of events over U.S. airspace that Pentagon officials believe has no peacetime precedent. Part of the reason for the repeated shootdowns is a heightened alert following a spy balloon from China that emerged over U.S. airspace in late January. General Glenn Van Hurt, head of NORAD and the U.S. Northern Command, said in a briefing with a reporter. And that's it. On Tuesday, senators were briefed not only on what the military had learned about the first Chinese spy balloon, but also these unexplained shootings that happened over the weekend. Uh, So I'm just going to read you, this is via Punchbowl, some uh, quotes from those senators. Senator Tom Tillis said the recovery effort in the ocean near his home state has, quote, produced a lot of valuable information. Senate Intelligence Committee Chair Mark Warner said the administration is still in collection mode. Marco Rubio, the vice chair of the Intelligence Committee, said 99% of the information revealed during the briefing could have been made public, and the 1% that should remain classified was focused on the recovery and collection efforts. Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chair Bob Menendez said nothing is clear at this point other than that they exist. It's the new normal until we identify exactly what these entities are, where they came from, and what their purposes are. That will be the reality out of an abundance of caution. Which is a lot of fancy reporting ways to say, we don't know anything. We have no idea. The senators can't tell us, and apparently from what they got briefed at the highest levels of clearance that are available to federally elected politicians, who knows? I mean, especially when it comes to the things that I actually really care about, which is what are we seeing right now in terms of these shootdowns that happened over the weekend? If the government doesn't want to answer questions about them, then why did we even know about them to begin with? In my opinion, it goes back to the obsession with message discipline. We only knew about the Chinese spy balloon because social media clips about it went viral. They only confirmed it, the Pentagon did, because there was a question asked about it during a briefing. That became an embarrassment for the administration and had to either explain why they were covering up for a Chinese espionage attempt or explain that they were allowing it to still be in the sky. Of course, that balloon was eventually shot down as it exited the continental United States, as Secretary Buttigieg said, because there was seven and a half miles of debris, which I'm like, I don't know, dude, I've driven across the country. There's a lot of seven and a half mile areas that you could probably spare. Anyway, stuff like this is what makes extreme message discipline problematic because you are only talking about the things that would otherwise be embarrassing to have surface beyond your control without the clarity of additional information. And I do think that there is a difference here when you are the opposition party and you are out of power versus when you are in power and you do have a responsibility to communicate honestly with the public. But let's also be charitable to the Biden administration here. This is not an easy needle to thread. 
because the media narratives will also define how China reacts to this. Oh yeah, from here on out, let's just assume that everything that was shot down over the last eight days are indeed Chinese technology and that the reaction to the spy balloon put the US in a position to shoot down anything they might even suspect is Chinese. Let's just assume that that's what we're talking Although, I will say that my steampunk dirigibles multiverse theory is also very cool. On Monday, a spokesman for the Chinese foreign ministry called the shootings of the Chinese balloon, quote, an overreaction of overexertion. He went on to say that U.S. balloons have passed into Chinese territory over 10 times in the last year. Now, that comment, that specific comment drew a very speedy rebuttal from the National Security Council. Quote, any claim that a U.S. government operates surveillance balloons over the PRC is false. The Pentagon has said both on and off the record that they believe that the Chinese spy balloon that we saw eight days ago was part of a Chinese army program to collect intelligence globally, not just in the United States, but also Taiwan, Japan, India, Vietnam, and the Philippines, although they named those countries anonymously to the Washington Post. So the question internally has to be something around this. How much should we tell the public? How will the public thirst for information on this story force the American media to cover it? How will China interpret the spin of the American media? And how will the American public react to the reaction of the Chinese, to the reaction of the American media, to the reaction to the public? And on and on and on and on. It's enough to make you get so worried about this stuff that you shut up and don't say anything. Or at least, nothing on the record. And our relationship with China is tenuous. We've moved into a bipartisan stance that China is the enemy by Poland. The lack of transparency that they had during COVID materially hampered understanding of a virus that locked down our culture and economy. And that's further soured perception, which you can add to the pile with outsourcing, Hong Kong, censoring gay characters in Disney movies in exchange for distribution as reasons to why China is not popular stateside in either party. And if we understand that, then I can understand playing it safe with stuff like this. While I might have my quibbles on what should and shouldn't be said, I don't know what deck everybody is dealing from in turn. So I'll give them at least the benefit of the doubt. That is, until things get serious. Because let's be clear Dear listeners, the reason why these stories, all these spy balloons and the shootdowns, are incredibly important are because they could be the prologue of World War III. We talk about the Cold War in the terms that we do, specifically that it was a Cold War because it didn't turn into a hot war. And there were plenty of times where it threatened to. So one of the things that have frustrated me the most when we talk about the stuff that has happened in politics over the last 10 days and we talk about East Palestine and we talk about these balloons 
is that people tend to want to fight that one is more important than the other. And while I do think that a binary is out and out stupid, and if you're saying it, then please stop, because I care about you as a listener to this show. I also want to point out that the balloons are a lot more important. Because as bad as East Palestine is, and as important as it is to everybody that is in that town, and I feel horrible, horrible, if anybody gets cancer or their pet dies or anything, it's not World War III. And that's what we could be talking about here. And if we get closer to that scenario, then I do believe that the burden of transparency should rise above political and into the realm of public service. And that's why it's important to have this level of pushback when it comes to issues of national security. The cost of a war against China will not be evenly divided on party registration lines. And no matter who is in power at the time, it's going to be important that the American public know where we are on the road to a conflict with China. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. You can email the program, theyuckamerican at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. The show's account is px3tweets. My account is Justin R. Young. You can uh, find me streaming live on Twitch, px3live.com. You can find the podcast online, px3podcast.com. You can support us with a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Our cash app is px3cash, and you can send anything that you would like to me in the mail. P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can only get our bonus content from takepoliticsseriously.com. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier. Get your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Dustin, Jason, Andres, C. Garcia, Matt, El Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, DP, DP for Bongo, Neemeister, Catherine, Todd, and Oak Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B.A., select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100-mile runner, Idris Arslandi in blue front, and the Lenina, D.L., Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's dashing debut, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want your name read along with them. Only one place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. On Friday's edition of the show, that will be the next free edition of this show. We're going to be going over all in the history of female presidential candidates. How did they announce their campaigns? It's going to be a fun one. Be there. Won't you? 
Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only one that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.